When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome in, everybody, episode 721 of the podcast in Assuming America, the Outdoor Sports Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Tuesday, June 13th, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I apologize for the delay. Travel was chaotic on Sunday, so no Monday episode of the Aaron Torres Pod. Instead, we are here. On a Tuesday. Here's what you need to know about today's show. We're going to open the topic we've talked about all offseason. Chaos in the streets at Kentucky with that basketball program. Why we're talking today. Matt Jones, biggest voice in Kentucky basketball media, said some very interesting things about the status of this program. And has me even more worried than I actually was like a week ago. And that is saying something because I think I've been more critical of Kentucky than anybody from there. We will get to a former Kentucky coach, uh, Rick Petito. My guy did it again. Big time commitment this week from a four-star guard, first New York City area player that he lands. I think this is huge. I'm telling you, Petino, it is a thing. Get with it or not. We will talk some other news and notes in college hoops. Grant Nelson appears ready to commit to Alabama. Cam Spencer to UConn. And maybe, just maybe, even wrap with a little bit of the NBA playoffs. Before we get started, quick reminder, make sure uh, following on social media, Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, YouTube channel over 23,000 subscribers. So thank you for your support. Of course, if you don't listen on YouTube, you can on Apple as well. With that said, let's not waste any more time and let's get to the topic of the day and the topic of the day. I'll be honest. It's just really kind of an extension of everything that I have talked about with Kentucky basketball this offseason, but why we are talking about it today, why we are addressing it on a Tuesday show here in mid-June is because I actually thought my old buddy, Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio, good friend of mine, I worked with him for a couple years at KSR. He shared some very interesting comments on his show about the state of the program that basically address everything that I have been saying all offseason and maybe make it even a little bit worse. All the problems that I've talked about, too many freshmen, complete inactivity in the portal, seemingly having no idea how NIL is working at every school other than Kentucky. Matt talked about it all. I want to address his comments, address what Cal is doing wrong. Can it be fixed? Is it too late? Let's get into all of it. Before I do, it is worth noting, Matt made his comments, I think, on Thursday or Friday of last week, and there were two things that have happened since then as it pertains to Kentucky basketball. One, 
They did at least get another player for their 2023-2024 roster. That is because on Monday afternoon or Monday morning, really, Jordan Burke, 6'8 forward, overtime elite, ended up committing to UK. Three-star forward had been committed to Ole Miss. And what I will say, I'm not going to crush Cal on this one because, one, you just need bodies at this point. And two, at the end of the day, I think Jordan Burke's probably a little bit better than people think. Have talked to some people at OTE that are familiar with his game, and they have essentially said, like, look, this is a kid, he he started late to basketball, uh, isn't somebody that kind of grew up playing the sport, and so we believe that he has NBA potential. He's just not a one-and-done guy. Needs to work on his skills, needs to work on, on his weight and his frame, needs to get into a college strength and conditioning program. But we do believe that he has NBA talent down the road. And so I actually think this is a nice late summer pickup for Kentucky. The problem is, again, it's the same thing that we've talked about all offseason, another freshman to an insanely young roster. The second thing that happened this weekend was not good at all. It was Arthur Kaluma, who I would argue was the last really big impact type transfer in the portal, had verbally uh, agreed to take a visit to Kentucky. Just one problem. He took a visit to Kansas State first and on Saturday after or Sunday afternoon, excuse me, officially announced that he was committing to Kansas State, meaning that Kentucky is out of the picture on another big time transfer. And so essentially, Those two stories right there, in one fell swoop, in like a 30-second explanation, that is Kentucky's entire offseason right there. If you want a a microcosm of Kentucky's offseason, that was it right there. It's all the stuff we've talked about plus more. It's the fact that Kentucky started moving too slow in the transfer portal, um, wasn't aware of the players who were thinking about leaving and coming and going, not in tune with their own guys, and now... They're scrambling in the portal when there's no options left. And they are going to enter 2023-2024, which will probably go down as the oldest year in college basketball history with all the fifth and sixth year guys because of the COVID waiver. They're going to go in with maybe the youngest roster in the history of college basketball themselves with two sophomores returning and right now six freshmen coming in. They're probably going to add some more freshmen And there is a minor possibility that Antonio Reeves could come back off last year's team, although it is not looking like that. And so I bring it up because, again, that is a microcosm for what the entire offseason has been like at Kentucky. And what is especially interesting is that it came on the heels, again, of Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio, sharing some very interesting insight on his radio show over the last couple days about the state of Kentucky basketball. Now, it's worth noting, Matt has publicly said, you know, me and Cal don't have the greatest relationship right now, but Matt knows everybody in the administration, Matt knows all the big boosters, and Matt tells it like it is. And so when Matt says something is going down at Kentucky, it absolutely is, and his comments were very interesting. So I'm going to read a few of his comments right now, and then I'm going to react to them because it is going to shed light into everything that you need to know about Kentucky athletics. So one, here is the first quote from Matt Jones on his radio show, Kentucky sports radio about the state of Kentucky basketball. He said, this is a fact. This program in the last few months has been in complete disarray. Nobody knows what's going to happen, including the coaches. 
It has been in disarray, and anybody that says otherwise, it's just wrong. Not a great portrait of where things currently are with, again, players that you weren't expecting to transfer, transferring, players that you weren't expecting to stay in the draft, staying in the NBA draft. You're now rallying to recruit three-star high school prospects that nobody had even was, was even aware were on your radar a month ago. It is chaos, and Matt Jones just said that. Two, and this might be the even more revealing quote, is one, this is what he said. He said, players come and go. That worries me less than the other stuff. And again, if people don't want to believe this, they don't have to, but this is the truth. Calipari has no connection with the main boosters of this program, specifically the main couple, and it's killing us. It just is. The people around the program can't talk to him They don't know what to say to him. And he is completely isolated from everybody. I want to get into those two quotes because to me, if there are two paragraphs that paint a picture for what Kentucky basketball is right now, those are it. And I say that as a guy who largely defended John Calipari during the year. First of all, the first quote is both mortifying And if you were paying attention, appears to be a reality. The fact is this program in the last few months has been in complete disarray. Nobody knows what's going to happen next, including the coaches. Well, I'll be honest. I don't necessarily have all of the insight into Kentucky basketball that Matt Jones does. Now, I believe I have a lot, but maybe not as deep ties as he does. I don't know if anybody in the media does. But to me... That absolutely explains so much about what has happened this offseason. Because we're going to talk about the portal in a minute and the kids that you're missing on. But if you just look at this offseason, that is the number one thing that has stood out to me. There is absolutely, it appears as though there is absolutely no game plan. Nobody knows what's going on. And John Calipari not only has no, no, he's not in touch with both his current players and anyone that he is recruiting. I've said it before, but when, listen, let me even backtrack, okay? Because I think it's important to note this on Kentucky before we move forward. It's not just that they lost a couple guys to the NBA draft. What I think is actually worse for Kentucky basketball, I'll be blunt, is that they lost several players to the portal that I don't think that they were expecting to lose. Lance Ware, who was a backup, four-year guy, High school basketball in Camden, New Jersey. A bunch of his former high school teammates are coming in. He hits the portal. Uh, CJ Frederick. I know he's from Cincinnati, but played basketball in Kentucky. Two injury plagued years. He decides to leave. Oh, by the way, this Antonio Reeves situation is insane. Star player, 37 points in the regular season finale. And it appears as though now after withdrawing from the draft, he is trying to graduate so he can transfer to another school so he could be a graduate transfer. If that doesn't speak to absolute chaos, I don't know what is. And what might even be worse is the conversation about the boosters. The bottom line is it is 2023. It is going into 2024. The transfer portal world is here. The NIL world is here. And if you do not have a connection with the money people, it is not going to get done. You are not going to get the players that you need to win at the highest level. You are not going to compete at the highest level. And I'm not saying that you have to buy your way to a national championship in 2023 or 2024. All the elements have to be in place. 
You have to have the right culture. You have to have the right people. You have to be about the right things. You have to have a coach that that vibes with his players. But NIL is a thing that is a reality. And if coaches are not in touch with their boosters, you cannot win. And so that is what's going on. And really quickly, this, and this is the important part. If you take nothing else out of this, Kentucky fans, this is what has to happen. I want to spend three things absolutely have to change just based on what Matt said late last week. One, as far as let's get to the last quote. For, first of all, let me let me start by saying this. One, let's get to the last quote first. Let's get to the last quote first. You have to be have some contact with your boosters or you have to know that boosters at least have support and you have to be in touch and in tune with this NIL era. I understand that Cal was at the forefront of what he thought NIL was going to be. He's been in favor of NIL for the last three, four, five years in the lead up to NIL. And I get that this is not what he was envisioning. He was envisioning players getting legitimately paid off of NIL, having an opportunity to endorse local products. But what NIL is right now in this era of college athletics that John Calipari still wants to be a part of it is about collectives. It is about having a, a an amount of money available to go after marquee players, most notably transfers. That doesn't make it wrong. That doesn't make it illegal. That just makes it a reality of the situation. We can pretend like guarantees aren't made, but that is the reality. We can pretend that collectives aren't as important as they are, but it is a reality. I'm not saying everybody's NIL is perfect. Not saying collectives are perfect, but what I am saying is if you don't even acknowledge that they exist, it's just not going to work and don't blame the transfers. Don't blame the transfers because remember, these are not players that are going to be rich beyond their wildest dreams in the NBA in a year from now. Most of them are in their fourth or fifth year of college. They have one year to get paid and then they're either going overseas to the G League or they're going to be making cash, selling insurance, or working in enterprise someday. So the idea that they they don't want or deserve that, it's just not reality. So that's one. You got to get into the 21st century with this NIL stuff. It isn't what you thought it was going to be, but that is out of your control. You can either accept it or die. Not literally, metaphorically. You can either, what is the old saying? Evolve or die. Right now, Cal... You can you can take the metaphor wherever you want. I think you understand what I'm saying. Two, and this is important. You got to have a better pulse of your team, man. You just have to have a better pulse of your team, and you have to move quicker when stuff happens. Listen, players come, players go, as Matt Jones said. Players want to transfer for a variety of reasons, but what should never be happening is Kentucky being blindsided the way that they are. Every program in America, as best I can tell, has exit, basically essentially what exit interviews, right? Basically the season's over. Are you, what, what, what's, first of all, what's your plan? Are you coming back? This is how we envision your role. This is what we need you to get better on, et cetera, et cetera. Doesn't seem to be an issue at literally any other school in America. Just give you an example. My alma mater, UConn. Won a national championship, got six, seven guys coming back off that team, plus a high school recruiting class. Um, you know, whoever. Alabama had a couple guys test the draft waters, but guess what? They have about five guys coming back from that uh, SEC championship team 
that that was a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. You go on and on and on down the list. What cannot happen is you cannot be blindsided because you have, I don't I can't say definitively that he has no communication with his players, but it sure seems like that. Lance Ware transferring in the last week of May was both shocking, surprising, and I think caught uh, caught John Calipari by surprise. Uh, C.J. Frederick probably transferring when he did caught John Calipari by surprise. Obviously, Antonio Reeves not seriously considering returning to Kentucky once he pulled out of the NBA draft caught John Calipari by surprise. I do think, for the most part, if you're honest with players, they will be honest with you. What you can't have is assumption. What you have to have is communication, and you have to have moving parts. I've said it a million times. Eric Musselman, the Arkansas coach, when a player enters the portal or a player enters the NBA draft, the assumption is that they're gone. There is no assumption that they're coming back, and Eric Musselman recruits as though they are gone. And then at that point, if the player wants to come back, Eric Musselman will, of course, hold a scholarship for him or make sure there's a spot available for him. But at the same time, and by the way, that happened with Devo Davis this year, a fourth-year senior for Arkansas. But what Eric Musselman isn't going to do is sit around and wait until the day of the NBA draft deadline to try and figure out if a guy's coming back, if he's not, and then move from there. You cannot do that in 2024. You simply cannot. You have to know your guys. You have to have a pulse. You have to figure things out. And don't tell me a couple things. One, don't tell me he had a pulse for Lance Ware. Lance Ware waited until May 29th to enter the portal. And oh, by the way, um, maybe it wasn't May 29th. I might have made that up. But sometime in mid to late May. And he's just gone. And oh, by the way, once that happens, you have to find a guy. You have to find a body. And don't tell me that Kentucky can't get anyone out of the portal, even as a role player. Guess what? They've done it in the past. Nate Sestina, remember him? He was a big part of Kentucky's uh, team that was good enough to win it all in 2020. Reed Travis was a starter, but he was ultimately the fourth, fifth best player on a team that had Tyler Hero, P.J. Washington, and Keldon Johnson. You can get players, but you can't wait until the last minute. And then three, I'm just going to be blunt. I have heard enough stories this offseason to know that his recruitment of transfers is a disaster and just completely wrong. Okay, so I'll try to be quick because I know this segment's going on. But the bottom line is that recruiting portal players, as I've told Kentucky fans for years, is totally different than recruiting high school players. High school players, especially elite ones that know they're going to the NBA, you can be straightforward. You can give them the come here, the sum is greater than the parts, be part of something great, and we'll still get you ready for the NBA in a year. And he has the track record to do that. You don't have to be a star at Kentucky to to have a very successful NBA career and to go very early in the draft. Anthony Davis, what was it? Fifth most shots on the team. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, whatever it was. Number one and number two in 2012. Eric Bledsoe, I wrote a freaking book about the 2010 team was the second point guard in that class, was drafted in the first round. And so I bring it up because that works for high school players, and John Calipari is great with that approach. I am also here to tell you it definitively does not work for transfers. Why does it not work for transfers? Well, let's think about it. You think if you're 22 years old, 
You think if you've established yourself as a college basketball star and you have one year of eligibility left to get the absolute most out of your situation, do you think you want to hear, well, you know, come be part of the team. Let's see what happens. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Maybe you come off the bench. Maybe you start. No, of course not. Listen, I can tell you definitively. I know for a fact, because I know people close to the recruitment, that that was their spiel to Cam Spencer from Rutgers. Come here, be part of something. Maybe you get to start. Maybe you don't. We'll see. And he was like, what? I just averaged 13 points per game at Rutgers in the Big Ten. 43% three-point shooting. And you're telling, I just averaged 13 points per game in the Big Ten. And you're telling me I can come here and maybe compete for minutes? By the way, that doesn't mean you have to play second fiddle to the freshman. There is a starting spot in the front court, in the backcourt for another guard. Cam Spencer can very much play alongside DJ Wagner, a five-star freshman. It can happen. It can be done. By the way, it's the same with Arthur Kaluma. I was told while I was traveling this weekend that Kaluma was basically told they couldn't guarantee him a starting spot. This guy just started on an elite eight team. On an elite eight team. In the elite eight. 12 points per game. NBA talent. And you're asking him, you might have to come off the bench? What? And by the way, there's a spot for him in the starting lineup too. He's a four. He's a stretch four. He's an NBA four. I know Aaron Bradshaw, the other five-star freshman, maybe there is a spot for him in the starting lineup. Now he's going to Kansas State. Keyshaw Johnson's another one. Now, I don't blame Kentucky fans, but they were telling me, oh, you know, he's willing to, uh, to come off the bench. That's what he did at San Diego State. No. If he wanted to keep coming off the bench or play a role, he would have just stayed at San Diego State where he just competed for a championship, where he just was a game away from winning a national championship. He specifically left that school because he wanted a bigger role. I don't know if he asked for a starting spot, but he wanted a bigger role. The idea that, oh, he's just a bench piece for Kentucky. Are you kidding me? He would have been the best player at Kentucky on day one next year. Not the one with the most NBA upside, not the one with the best this. He would have been the best player on Kentucky's current roster if you could have gotten him to commit. And so that's it. I'm done. Matt's quotes were great. Matt's quotes are revealing because it puts all of the puzzle pieces together in my head of what has gone on, what is wrong, and what needs to be fixed. You have to figure out NIL. Collectives are getting more complex, more smart, better every year. If you want elite transfers, if you want transfers, period, you got to have it lined up, ready to go. You got to have a better pulse on your team. You got to know who's coming and going the day after the season ends. I'm sorry. No one else was losing players in the manner in which Kentucky did. And you got to, got to, got to get the transfer portal, uh, you know, the pitch down. You just have to. So that's my rant. It's officially over. The one thing I will say, and I do think it is worth noting, because there is so much negativity with Kentucky right now. But it is worth noting that John Calipari's best teams, their best teams, have been led by star freshmen. Still think DJ Wagner has a chance to be a very special college basketball player next year. I still believe Aaron Bradshaw does too. I just, Justin Edwards for sure. I just don't know. 
if they got enough around him, you got to find some vets, man. And I don't even know who's left at this point. I don't know who's left that has real options. You got to find some vets. You got to find some guys who've been there. You got to get it done. All right, this is what I want to do. Take a quick break. Come back. When we come back, we'll talk about the other big news of Monday in college hoops. Uh, that would be our boy, Big Rick Energy, Rick Patino, nabbing himself another elite talent. This one out of the high school ranks. This is big. I'm telling you why. We're going to discuss that next. Grant Nelson committing to Alabama. Who else? Cam Spencer to UConn. We'll hit on that too. Quick break. Be right back. All right, we're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. The NBA playoffs are here and nobody has you covered quite like Betfred. By now, you know Betfred's story. Started in 1967 in the UK. Over 1,200 shops in the UK. They have since come to the United States and made a major splash. They are not only the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres podcast and all things Aaron Torres media, but also the Cincinnati Bengals, the Colorado Rockies, the Denver Broncos. And what I love about Betfred Sportsbook is that nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. You've seen the Betfred Sportsbook suite at Bengals games. It is hopping. We have sent listeners of this show to Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. Betfred bettors have thrown out first pitches at Colorado Rockies games. Again, nobody takes care of you like Betfred Sportsbook does. And here is what they are doing for the NBA playoffs. How about this for a deal? Bet $50 on any game, all playoffs long, get up to $1,111 in free bets. Here's how it works. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app, bet $50 on any game. You automatically get $111 in free bets. But beyond that, here is what else Betfred does for you. They're going to give you up to $200 in insurance for the first five weeks that you're a Betfred customer. So, Maybe you make a bad pick. We all do. We've all been there. Trust me. You followed my picks in March Madness. It happens. So you bet 200. Doesn't work out. Get 200 insurance for the first five weeks that you are a Betfred customer, equating up to $1,111 in free bets thanks to Betfred. Again, nobody takes care of you like Betfred does. Love working with them. They are the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres pod. Tell them Torres sent you. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app right now. All right, everybody. Not back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Do want to switch gears. And so listen, like I said to lead the show, I, I think this is probably the last really big uh, basketball-related show, college hoops-related show that we're going to have for a while here on the Aaron Torres pod. Over the next couple weeks, we'll obviously ramp up. I've been doing my college football prep, even though we haven't talked a ton of college football. But really, the basketball stuff is almost essentially done everywhere except for Kentucky. Uh, most of the big names are out of the portal, a couple of which we're going to discuss here momentarily. Uh, and there was, coming into this week, one marquee high school basketball player that was still available. So I know we traditionally talk portal more than we do high school stuff here on this show, but I do think this high school player was of particular note for a couple reasons. So let's start with him. Let's get into him. The high school player was a player named Simeon Wiltshire, 6'4 guard, about a top 30 or so prospect, four-star out of the New Jersey area. Now, a lot of you probably sitting there saying, Torres, top 30 prospect, what does it mean? Why are we talking about him? Well, he was committed to North Carolina, 
up until about two, two and a half weeks ago, but decided to reopen his recruitment when a kid by the name of Elliot Cadeau, a five-star from the class of 2024, reclassified and ended up at Carolina. So why do I bring it up? It is because on Monday, he made his official college commitment, decided where he is going to end up, and drumroll please, he ended up at... Say it with me now, baby. Big Rick Energy. That is right. Simeon Wilshire, 6'4 guard, top 30 prospect, became the highest rated recruit to commit to St. John's in over a decade. And all I got to tell you, you know where I'm going to go. You know what I want to say. But Big Rick freaking Energy. Get your t-shirt link in the bio in the show description. Big Rick Energy, St. John's. Listen, I was, I literally led the St. John's Patino hype train. And even I am blown away by what this guy has done, what he has meant to this program in a short amount of time. And I think the Simeon Wilcher decision, even though he's not the prototypical five-star one and done, I think this is a big metaphorical recruiting win for St. John's that cannot be overstated. So let's get into it. First of all, as I said, really good player, about six foot four from the state of Jersey, had been committed to Carolina forever. But as I said, Stuff changes, things change, circumstances change. And when they took another high school guard from the class of 2024, this kid decided I need to reopen my recruitment. Once he got into, you know, once he became available, it really wasn't, uh, I think, Seton Hall fans. I guess there's a Seton Hall St. John's thing that happened on social media, but it felt like St. John's was always the lean. And it makes sense to me from a lot of perspectives. This kid is very talented, but I don't think he is a one-and-done prospect. And I think you can literally argue that if you're not going to be a one-and-done, but you're probably good enough to play in the NBA, I think there's two coaches above everybody else that you want to play for in college basketball. One is Bill Self, who has an incredible track record with two, three, four-year college players. And the other is the Hall of Famer, Rick Pitino. Nobody, I believe, has a better eye for talent and can see talent where it doesn't exist more than Rick Pitino. Now, it's not totally fair with this particular kid because he was committed to Carolina, so obviously we know how talented he is. But you look at Pitino's track record. Donovan Mitchell at Louisville, Francisco Garcia at Louisville, Gorgie Jang at Louisville, who played a bunch of years in the NBA. Some of those old-school Kentucky guys going back to when he was there in the late 90s. This guy knows talent, can identify talent, and if you are going to be a two- to three-year college player, I would argue... This is the spot you want to go to. So Elliot Cadeau is going to St. John or Elliot Cadeau is going to Carolina. Simeon Wilshire is going to St. John's. And on top of just who he is, I believe I have, th- I have three kind of opinions about this move and what it means for St. John's and this program going forward. So let's get into them. one. I'll tell you this. I think this officially establishes this being Simeon Wilshire's commitment officially establishes St. John's as a preseason top 25 team this year, something imagine if I had said the day that St. John's lost to uh, whatever it was Marquette in the big East tournament, or the day they played their final big East regular season game. I said next year, St. John's we're all going to kind of be in agreement that they're a top 25 team going into next year. You would not have believed me, but that's where I'm at with this team. Now, Simeon Wilshire is just a piece again, very nice player. But you look at what Rick Pitino has done, it's unbelievable. I'm not going to go through the whole depth chart. We've done it two or three times on this show over the course of the offseason. But Jordan Dingle, 
second leading scorer in all of college basketball last year in the Ivy League. Was it a legit, I don't want to say he was an NBA draft prospect, but maybe a second rounder. Now he's coming to the Big East. This is a guy that's going to be able to get buckets in the Big East and be the star of a very good team at St. John's. You have Joel Soriano, who was already an all-Big East caliber player. You just probably don't know about him if you're not a St. John's fan because of the fact that you never paid attention to St. John's. This kid is really good, six foot eleven. He is going to be one of the best big men in college basketball next year. There's other nice pieces. Glenn Taylor, a guard from Oregon State, big guy, can play on, off the ball, all that good stuff. You have R.J. Luis, a guy that kind of has, again, that NBA frame, length, and body. The perfect spot for him is St. John's. You have a couple nice pieces that have come from Iona. So when I look at this team, and I look who's coaching it, and I look at the track record that that gentleman has in producing high-level successful squads, this is a preseason top 25 team. This is a team that should make the NCAA tournament. And I don't think it's hyperbole to say that I believe that there is a scenario and a very good scenario, a very likely scenario in which St. John's potentially wins its first NCAA tournament game since the year 2000, as crazy as it sounds. More importantly, though, and this is kind of, to me, the main bullet point, if you take nothing else out of this clip on YouTube or this podcast download, take this. To me, this is the single most important commitment that Rick Pitino has got. Not because he's going to be their best player next year. That will probably be Jordan Dingle. But because it is a high-level impact guy from the New York Tri-State area. And there's this like big thing of like, oh, New York doesn't produce players like it used to. Well, listen, I don't know if New York produces players in the same way that it did four, uh, you know, four or five decades ago, frankly. I don't know if guys are, you know, I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the right word here? Uh, but listen, I don't think they they play on the playgrounds as much anymore. I don't think they go to some of the high schools that they used to. But do not tell me that the New York City area does not produce talent. Just in this recruiting class alone, think about this recruiting class right here, right now, 2024. Mackenzie and Baco, New Jersey high school star in the tri-state area, committed to Indiana. DJ Wagner from Jersey. I know it's South Jersey, but it's still Jersey. It's a two-hour drive up to New York City, maybe a little bit more. Don't judge me on my geography. From Camden, New Jersey. Aaron Bradshaw, six foot eleven from Camden, New Jersey, along with DJ Wagner. They're both going to Kentucky. So just think about that. I just listed, what, four top 10 prospects? Oh, by the way, Elliot Cadeau, the kid I mentioned, who is going to North Carolina from Jersey. That's I think I just mentioned four top 10 prospects that are either going to Kentucky, Indiana, or North Carolina next year, all from either New York or New Jersey. So don't tell me this area doesn't produce talent, but now what is fascinating is this. Simeon Wilshire is the first one that said, you know what? Where I want to be and where I need to be, the best place for me is to stay home in the tri-state area and go to St. John's. And it's for all the reasons that we've said. It's for the player development. It's for be the part of a rebuild under Rick Pitino. It's play in the world's most famous arena at Madison Square Garden, your home game. This was the first guy to say yes, and I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. Again, I'm not saying that New York City, that it's 1974 and you can find a future NBA player under every corner. But there is still so much talent in this area. Just think about the fact. Listen, 
There is a reason that Duke makes it a priority to play a game every year in Madison Square Garden. There is a reason that Kentucky plays one game every year in New York City. There's a reason that North Carolina, when Hubert Davis got the job, decided they want to play once a year at Madison Square Garden or in the New York City area. It is because the talent there still matters. Recruiting there still matters. And if you're North Carolina, Duke, and Kentucky, you want to keep a presence, you want to keep a pipeline, the talent is there. But now St. John's and the local school is a legitimate option. This is just so big and so interesting and so fascinating. And finally, let me just say this. This is why when you have a chance to make a program-changing hire in college sports, you have to do it, okay? So my last thought is, listen, I, I was the number one Patino hype train guy, Big Rick Energy, all that good stuff. But at the same time, this is why when you have a chance to do something that can change the trajectory of your program, it is because, and by the way, not just your program, but when it's in basketball or football, maybe some other sports, it's not just your athletic, it's not just your basketball or football program. It's your school, it's your athletic department, it's the local area. It's why you have to make these hires when the opportunity presents themselves. I know that Rick Pitino doesn't have a perfect pass, by the way, most of which he's been cleared from by the NCAA. But at the same time, one, he has been cleared. Two, and that was, by the way, why I said from the beginning, hire him St. John's, don't even think about it. But two, look at the energy that he has created. Look at the number of season tickets that people are signing up for. Look at the recruits that are willing to play. Look at the transfers that are willing to pay at play. And at the end of the day, you cannot put a value on what a great coach does for your university or excitement around your fan base. And don't worry about if people are going to criticize you or don't like the hire. I'll give you a quick side story because I want to move on. I was watching a little college baseball on Sunday night. LSU beat Kentucky to advance to the Super Regionals, okay? And I thought, or to advance to the College World Series. And I thought about this. LSU in the last 20 months, under two years, has hired not only a coach that has them back in Omaha in baseball. They've hired Kim Mulkey in basketball and Brian Kelly in football, okay? Why do I bring it up? It was because when Kim Mulkey got hired, remember the famous, she took off her mask and threw it down and oh my God, Kim Mulkey, she's such an evil human being and oh my God, she's the worst person ever. Guess what? She won a natty in year two. LSU women's basketball is on fire. Angel Reese is one of the biggest stars in women's college basketball. Nobody cares anymore. People got mad about it for a day and now all Kim Mulkey's doing is winning natties, Okay. Brian Kelly, oh, I don't know. Should you hire him? Is he the right guy? Well, guess what happened? Brian Kelly won 10 games last year, and some believe they have the best team in the SEC West this coming season. So I bring it up because, listen, we have high-level people, and I'm not trying to brag. I'm just stating it as a fact. We have high-level people in college athletics that listen to this show. Very high-level people. I'm not telling you how to do your job. And I'm not saying that Hall of Famers fall out of the sky all the time like they do did for St. John's and Rick Pitino. But when you have a chance to get one of these guys, don't hesitate. Or girls, in the case of a women's coach in whatever sport, go do it. Go pay whatever. Go do whatever. Go turn over whatever leaves. Don't worry about a day of bad PR if the person has a little bit of a questionable background, whatever. Go get the guy. Go get the girl that makes the difference because you cannot put a price tag on this. You cannot put a price tag on what Rick Pitino has already done for St. John's. And oh, by the way, what is going to continue this season at Madison Square Garden? Really quickly, I do want to get to some other news and notes over the last couple of days. 
And it was really interesting because um, really probably the last mark super marquee player in the portal did come off the board on Monday, sort of, but not officially, but he basically did. That's Grant Nelson, six foot eleven forward, Devils Lake, North Dakota. Was at North Dakota State, um, and really over the last couple of days had limited his options to Arkansas and Alabama. He visited both, and on Monday we got a report that while he didn't officially commit to Alabama, it is impending. We got uh, Joe Tipton had it, Jeff Borzello had it, a few others did. I, you know, I have. I, I had been hearing that it was trending Alabama, but it appears as though it's imminent. It appears as though he's going there. And let me just say this. This is huge for him. This is huge for Alabama. And this is a total game changer. Why I think it makes sense on all fronts. Let's start with the player. Listen, it came down to Arkansas and Alabama, but Grant Nelson wants to be and has publicly said a one and done transfer. In other words, six foot 11 forward handles the ball, can make plays, went through the NBA draft process, and I thought played you know decently well at the combine, but it was clear he wasn't ready for the NBA draft. But this, and we just talked about it with Kentucky, this is the difference between recruiting portal kids and high school kids. When you're a portal kid and you've had success, you want the place that's going to put you over the top. You want the place where your role is defined, where you have immediate playing time, where you're Uh, wanted where you're needed, where there's no nonsense, where you, you fit. And it's not necessarily, again, it's not this big, you know, controversial thing of like, you know, I need this many minutes or this starting role. No, but it just makes sense. Arthur Kaluma at Kansas state makes sense. Grant Nelson at Alabama makes sense. Um, Cam Spencer, who we'll talk about in a minute at UConn makes sense. They're guys who fit a role, a specific need, and that is why they are making these decisions. So I always thought this made sense. Arkansas is obviously a great option, but their front court, I think, is really loaded. Trevon Brazil has a chance to be a first-round pick, in my opinion. Uh, Bayfall, a freshman McDonald's All-American, is a future NBA player. And Jalen Graham is another really good college basketball player that's already in the front court. So if you're Grant Nelson, you could go there, or you could choose Alabama, which really has a dearth of talent in the front court right now. And so that's why it made sense. And I'll say this, this is big for Alabama too now. Now, Alabama, I don't know if you've heard, Alabama is officially now a basketball school, okay? A little bit of hyperbole, but yes, another t-shirt that we sell at AT Online, Aaron Torres Online, is those Alabama basketball school t-shirts. But I bring it up because, listen, this is a program that now the expectation is, hey, we're going to be in the tournament every year because they've been there three straight years under Nate Oates. And we're going to compete for an SEC title. And if you looked at their roster, even as of a week ago, I wasn't sold that it was completely there yet. Because the big thing that Alabama had lost this offseason was the impact level big guy down low. They lost Charles Bediaco unexpectedly to the NBA. Certainly lost Brandon Miller. Certainly lost Noah Clowney, which was expected. And they really needed another big guy to come in and make plays. So now Grant Nelson is there. The fit is perfect. I think he's got to work on a little bit of his skill. He's not a great three-point shooter. That is something that basically everybody at Alabama is essentially expected to do, although that's not necessarily the case for Betty Ako. But finally, what I'll say is this. I'm not ready to say that they Alabama is going to win a third uh, SEC title in four years, 
But what I am willing to say is this is a very, 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 very big commitment for them going forward. I do believe it puts them in that upper tier of conversations in college basketball and in the SEC in terms of an SEC title contender. I don't think there's one team that is clearly definitively above everybody else. Arkansas and Tennessee probably have the two most talented rosters. I haven't totally given up on Kentucky because the NBA talent is there, even if it's all young. I don't think Kentucky's probably, I think Kentucky is one of the more talented starting fives. I don't think they have one of the more talented rosters, whatever. You get the point. Auburn's going to be good. I think Florida's done an unbelievable job in the portal. But I'd also add is that now Alabama's in that short conversation. Again, right now today, I'd probably say Arkansas is a little more talented. Tennessee's a bit more talented. But Alabama is right there. They needed Grant Nelson. They got him. You surround him with the guys they got coming back. Mark Sears, Javon Quinterly. Uh, who am I missing here? Who am I missing here? They added Aaron Estrada from Hofstra. They added, um, what's his name? Latrell Reitzel from Cal State Fullerton. There's going to be another really good team. Ryland Griffin, by the way, could be a potential breakout star. It's going to be a really good team. They needed a big guy. They got him in Grant Nelson. Finally, you know, I really didn't get a chance to talk about Cam Spencer to UConn last week. It was weird. So I recorded the final episode of the Aaron Torres pod for the week on like Wednesday night at like 10 p.m. Eastern. And he committed at like 1030 on a Wednesday to UConn. But I want to talk about Cam Spencer here for a minute because I have not had a chance to talk about him yet. Really good player. Really important fit for UConn. Essentially, take the same thing I just said about Grant Nelson for Alabama, plug in Cam Spencer and UConn, and you have the exact same conversation. UConn, I actually believe, is much better than people are giving them credit for. Last year, I said I had them about, I think, 12 to 14 in my preseason poll. They won a national championship. This year, I think they're probably in the top 10. I think I had them at number four in my most recent poll. That feels a little too high for me. But I bring it up because at the end of the day, you look at this team. I actually think people are like wildly underrating them going into next year. Tristan Newton, the starting point guard, 19 points in the national championship game. He's coming back. Um, Alex Caravan, star player down the stretch, averaged nine and a half points per game as a freshman last year is coming back. Donovan Klingen, backup center who would have been a starter anywhere else, could have been a first round pick, is back. They have Stefan Castle, a five-star guard, in their front in their backcourt going into the year, and some nice depth thanks to uh thanks to some of the freshmen coming in. But I bring it up because the one thing they were missing was that Jordan Hawkins shooter role guy, and they got him with Cam Spencer. 13 points per game, 43% three-point shooter. Again, another one. Grant Nelson. What did I just say? One specific role for one specific player. UConn just added a guy who averaged 13 points per game in the Big East next year, or the Big Ten last year. So you look at the fit, you look at the impact, you look at the role that he is going to play, and I think it's perfect. So I'm not going to go on and on, but I do think UConn's probably a tiny bit underrated going in. I've seen people that have him at like number like 14, 18, 22. If you have UConn outside your top 10, I'm trying to think of how I can say this delicately. You're, I don't think you know enough about college basketball. I mean, I'm just going to say it. Like, like you want to argue, okay, fringe top 10 team, that's fine. But three of the top six back off a national championship team. 
uh, a five-man recruiting class that's number two in the number three in the country behind only Kentucky and Duke. Uh, you just added a major impact transfer in Camp Spencer. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, is that a big moment for UConn? UConn, I'll probably update my top twenty-five one final time before we uh, before we officially turn our attention to football. But that is a top ten team, in my opinion. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead, just wrap really quick NBA finals. I know that we don't talk a ton of NBA here on the Aaron Torres pod, but listen, it's the biggest story in sports, the biggest event really going until college football starts here in a few weeks, or at least the, you know, the, the NFL hall of fame game. Like, like there's not going to be a lot to react to figured. I'd talk a little NBA finals. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you can stick to the college stuff at the beginning. Just going to share some quick thoughts, kind of some rapid fire reaction. First of all, I'll just acknowledge this. I think Denver is, I think they're a very interesting combination of two different teams and two different dynasties um, that we've seen in recent history. One, they remind me a lot of Spurs. By the way, I'm not saying they're going to be a dynasty. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But they remind me a lot of two different dynasties that we've seen over the last couple of years. The first one is the San Antonio Spurs, right? Um, you have a, a, a superstar big man. Not born in this country. Now, I know Tim Duncan played college ball at Wake Forest, spent, I think, a year or two of high school ball in the United States. Um, but foreign-born big guy, really understated. Jokic is kind of this generation's Tim Duncan, just wants to play ball, doesn't want all the off-the-court stuff, doesn't care about the endorsements and the ads and the this and the brand and the shoe deal and Instagram and all that stuff. Guy just wants to ball. Guy just wants to win. I, I'm not discrediting the LeBron Jameses, the whomevers that are on Instagram that do like to get paid to do commercials because we all got to make money. But I do think there is something to be said about Jokic, understated. All he cares about is winning. Um, you know, those secondary stars are just easily likable guys. The international route, if you want to take it a step further, Jamal Murray from Canada, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili from overseas as well but just easily likable, understated. But then here's the other thing that the Denver Nuggets remind me of. They actually remind me a lot of the of the, the Golden State Warriors from this perspective. Completely different team, different styles of play, different this, different that. But what they remind me of is this. When the Golden State Warriors won that first NBA title in 2015, most of their best players were just starting to enter their primes. It's easy to forget now as Steph Curry is closing in on his 35th birthday. Clay, uh, Clay uh, Thompson, 32, 33 years old. Draymond Green's got gray in that beard. You go back to 2015, that's eight years ago. Steph Curry was 27 or 28. Clay Thompson was much the same. And you look at the Denver Nuggets, and it's basically the exact same with them. You go through this roster and look at this team and its makeup. Nikola Jokic just turned 28 years old. Jamal Murray, uh, who is just now entering. I don't even know if he's entered his prime as a guy who just turned 26 years old. Michael Porter Jr. is 24 years old. Uh, Aaron Gordon is a little bit of an older player, but it doesn't change the fact that he's still 26, 27, somewhere in that range. And so to me, that's probably the biggest takeaway from 
these NBA playoffs. Denver Nuggets were the best team in the NBA all season long. I know they took their foot off the gas over the last couple weeks of the regular season, but the scary part and the crazy part is this thing isn't going to slow down if these guys can, you know, for lack of a better term, keep their heads on straight. Um, I know that ego has, uh, you know, ruined a lot of successful NBA franchises and teams. I don't really see it happening with this team, with this makeup of particular guys. Again, what allowed the 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 uh, San Antonio Spurs to win? What was it? Five NBA titles over fifteen year stretch. Humble superstar. Didn't care about awards. Didn't care about spotlight. Just wanted to win. Same with the 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 secondary stars. That's the vibe that I get from both uh, Jokic and Murray as well. And I believe that if you can keep those two engaged, locked in, you're not going to win it every year. Nobody does. But this feels like the beginning of something special. Jokic 28, Murray 26, Michael Porter Jr. 24. There is no reason that this can't go on and on for a couple years. And again, not guaranteeing anything. But you start talking about a team that could be in contention for the next four, five, six years. This feels like the first of what could be at least a couple for the Denver Nuggets. Again, not the most exciting organization, but efficient get the job done. What I would also say that I think is very interesting about this championship, two things come to mind. One, what did I just say? Nikola Jokic, drafted by the Nuggets, 2014. Jamal Murray, drafted by the Denver Nuggets, 2016. Michael Porter Jr., drafted by the Denver Nuggets in 2018. What does that sound like? Homegrown team, homegrown stars, again, like the Golden State Warriors, like the Milwaukee Bucks last year, like the Boston Celtics who are continuing to knock on the door of winning at the highest level in the NBA, the, the Denver Nugget or the Phoenix Suns, excuse me, have Devin Booker and of course DeAndre Ayton as well, at least for now. And so I bring it up because that's kind of my second takeaway is that we get so enamored with the superstar signings, the free agent, this, this guy wants to team up, this guy demanded a trade. You look at the teams that are actually winning, when it matters, where it matters, how it matters, guess what they all have in common? Most of them, at least in the last couple years, are mostly homegrown. I think about that, and I think about what it means relative to something I have talked about. I have said this for the last year or so. I remember saying it last year when the Lakers missed the playoffs, when the Brooklyn Nets got uh, eliminated in the first round. I said, I think the era of just trading for a bunch of superstars and then assuming the best, I kind of think that era is over and I kind of think the Nuggets are further proof of it. My last real big picture thought on the Denver Nuggets winning the NBA championship, I'll just tell you straight up. It's the fact that I think teams that lost to them now have to seriously consider but also reconsider their offseason moves. Think about it. When the Phoenix Suns lost to the Denver Nuggets 4-2 to in the second round of the playoffs, what was the conversation? Couldn't get out of the second round with Booker, KD, and Chris Paul. Got to blow it up. Got to start over. Get rid of Chris Paul. Get rid of DeAndre and whatever. Why do I bring it up? It's because now I think what we're seeing, the Nuggets were just a really, really, really good team. And maybe 
you actually aren't as far away as you thought. You took two games from the Nuggets and pushed them to the brink in a couple other games in that series. Do you need to completely blow things up? Or do you just need to solidify your bench and bring back this core as it is? I think Phoenix is actually probably closer than people realize when they lost. I think it's the same with the Lakers. We've talked about this. I know LeBron, every time he loses, wants to blow everything up and trade everybody, and I want to bring in Kyrie, and I want to do this, and whatever. LeBron, I watched all those games. You guys were in every single one of them. You had a chance to beat this team every single game. Now, I'm not saying you bring it back totally, and I'm not saying that if you bring it back, that guarantees that you're going to beat the Denver Nuggets because the Denver Nuggets are bringing back everybody too. But at the same time, we know how this stuff works. Injuries happen. Whatever happens. Uh, frustration happens. Whatever. Like I just said, maybe somebody gets, maybe somebody, whatever. The point I'm trying to make, if you're the Lakers, I actually think you largely bring it back intact. Remember, the Lakers had the best record in the NBA after the trade deadline. Rui Hachimura works with that group. Austin Reeves works with that group. Um, Jared Vanderbilt works with that group. I don't think that Kyrie Irving or players like him work with that group. And so really, those are my takeaways, is that the, the Nuggets, they're a unique entity unto themselves. But man, they do have a lot of Spurs vibes with the way that the, the, the foreign players and the this and the that, they remind me of the Warriors from the perspective that they have a young core together that is just getting started. But I also think if you're the Suns tonight, you won two games against Denver. Denver didn't, Denver lost more games to the Suns than they did in the Western Conference Finals and the NBA Finals combined. Maybe you're not as far off as you thought. Uh, Lakers played them competitive. I think you run it back. You try to get a better seed during the regular season. You don't give away the first 60% of the season. You get in the playoffs a little more well-rested. I think you have a better shot. So I could go on and on, but that's really all I got. Congratulations to the Denver Nuggets, your 2023 NBA champs. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. I do think it is time for me to get out of here. You know, listen, as far as a schedule for this week, Trying to figure everything out. Obviously, the Tuesday show threw everything for a loop. Um, I think later in the week, I want to do a mailbag show. I know I've been promising it. I got a ton of great mailbag questions. Uh, and then maybe Friday, we get back to the normal routine. Friday show, Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong, all that good stuff. Uh, also, after I recorded tonight, uh, Matt Jones had some interesting things to say about Kentucky. So maybe there's an update on that as well. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to rate and review the show. Also, make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Time for me to get out of here. Thank you guys and girls for listening, and it is great to be back. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to J.J. Reddick, you F-head. Did you see J.J. Reddick? He couldn't break 90 in the closeout game of the NBA Finals. Was Torres right or was Torres right? Did A.T. do it again or did A.T. do it again? The real ones know. I'll be back on probably Thursday with a mailbag. Send questions. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. We'll see you Thursday.